Welcome to the inaugural episode of Value Investors Edge Live. I'm your host, Jay Mintzmeyer, lead researcher at Value Investors Edge, a premium marketplace research platform on Seeking Alpha. Our goal with this new series is to introduce investors directly to relevant companies in the industry and provide a platform for high-level executives to directly explain current market conditions and answer some of the questions that investors have about capital allocation, current market conditions, and other situations that might not come across as clearly in quarterly conference calls or in press releases. I believe this will open up these companies directly to investors and researchers and really lead to a higher level of transparency across the marketplace. Uh, we've launched a few high-profile interviews over the last couple months, starting with Scorpio Tankers, stock symbol STNG in the product tanker sector, then moving on to Dorian LPG, stock symbol LPG in that sector, and then most recently Euronav, stock symbol EURN, which is a leading crude tanker company. We interviewed Robert Bugby, president of Scorpio Tankers, on Thursday, 1 August, to discuss the upcoming IMO 2020 regulations, as well as Scorpio's positioning in the markets. It's been around seven weeks since we conducted this interview, but I think the discussion is still relevant for investors, even in the current market, as we're just now starting to approach those catalysts in October, November, December, right before we launch into 2020. Members of our research platform, Value Investors Edge, can listen to these interviews and discussions with CEOs live as they happen. We have a chat room set up where people can post questions and insights directly into the conversation. So it's almost a uh, interactive format uh, for our members. We then turn this into a podcast, which is what you're hearing now on Seeking Alpha and various distribution channels. Our research channel, Value Investors Edge, has been around for about five years, and I've been a contributor on Seeking Alpha now for going on nine years. Our research platform targets all devalue investments, but primarily we're focused in the maritime shipping space. We have approximately 25 members of Value Investors Edge listening live today. Live listeners will be able to submit questions directly to our feed, which we will incorporate into our discussion over the next 30 to 40 minutes. Today, in our first episode, we are hosting Robert Bugby, President of Scorpio Tankers and Scorpio Bulkers, along with James Doyle, Senior Vice President and Financial Analyst for Scorpio Group. Robert will discuss the product tanker and mid-sized dry bulk markets, and James will provide us with greater visibility on market intricacies as needed. For disclosures, I am personally long shares in both Scorpio Tankers and Scorpio Bulkers. This is an open discussion and forum between company executives, current investors, and potential investors, and does not constitute any official company guidance nor investment recommendations of any form. With that said, Robert, welcome. We're glad to have you here on the platform. Thank you very much, Jay. Really happy to be here. I'd like to start off uh, big picture uh, by talking about the product tanker industry. I know the Scorpio tankers reported yesterday morning, and that has the majority of focus for a lot of folks. Uh, you know, the big question I want to start off with, and we'll kind of branch uh, from there, is that people are looking for IMO 2020 to bring uh, significantly increasing rates. Uh, we haven't quite seen that yet. I know year-over-year rates have gone up. Uh, when can we start to see some improvement uh, in those rates? Sure. Um, you know, that's the, that's the you know, real key, real topic right now to earnings, certainly in Scorpio tankers and other tanker companies. I think first, though, it is an important thing that we've seen improvement, quite a strong improvement year over year without the EMO 2020 effect yet. And this should is a great background to what's to come because actually what we've had so far this year has been detrimental to the product tanker market because refineries in preparation of the expected increase in demand for EMO 2020 have been having more downtime so therefore that would crimp the demand 
yet we have an atmosphere where overall the demand has been moving forward ex EMO such that the rates are you know 25 to 30% higher than where they were this time last year. So that is makes it very confident that when EMO starts to kick in, combined anyway with the change of the seasonal aspect, we start to move into the stronger tanker season. Normally, that will come somewhere, you know, mid-October, towards the end of October. Last year, it came early October, um, second week. And that's going to be combined with EMO that the rates will move very hard. I would, however, expect the EMO movement and the product market to move earlier than that date. I mean, it, it literally our trading floors, you know, across the across the world, we have big trading floors in Singapore, London, and here in New York, are watching for any indication they can that this market's going to start moving. And what we're looking for is just increased volumes of shipments from the refineries and switching their, their grades to the new EMO 2020 requirements. And I would think that has to come at any point. I mean, it could happen before the end of August, but I think it certainly starts coming in early September latest, simply because for the shipping community to be able to comply with these regulations, they have to start loading um, and putting into their tanks the new compliant fuels somewhere, somewhere starting mid-end October. Otherwise, people won't be prepared as an industry crossing into January 2020. Thanks, Robert. That makes sense. I, I think a lot of investors, you know, they're just looking at these markets. And it, some of us, I mean, me personally, you know, I've been in this market for about four years now. And, you know, you came off a strong 2015. It was very encouraging rates. And, you know, the supply wasn't too bad. And there's a positive for demand. And then we got into 16 and it was a little bit weaker. And then 17 was weaker yet. And, and you know, 18 was really rough. Uh, so a lot of investors have been kind of, uh, you know, burnt, uh, you know, and once burnt, twice shy. But uh, like you said, we have I've seen significant year-over-year increases in the rates. Uh, so as I look forward to you know September, October, I, I share a lot of your optimism, uh, right? As a, being an investor in this company, uh, I've set my alarm <laughs> for uh, for mid-September. Uh, you know, and we'll we'll check the rates then. I think that look, you know, we're, we're insiders are very strong owners in Scorpio tankers and Scorpio bulkers, and we've been increasing our positions. You know, or certainly I have over in both companies for the last two years. And um, I think, though, that a better, for, for the outside investor, a better marker for, for expectation is not really the insiders of the companies or, or with respect to you, Jay, it's the customers. We've never seen. Not, not since 2003, 2004, which was the beginning of the last, you know, real product tanker boom. Uh, we've never seen customers really go long as a group. It certainly didn't happen in 15 and, and 14. But now your, your refiners your, and your traders, your Trafiguras, your Vitols, your Valeros, your you know, even Exxon, who are normally conservative, across the board, 
these refineries around the world and oil companies and traders have been going long the product market by way of chartering in tonnage, increasing their contracts where owners are willing to give them. And that's a really strong sign. Yeah, that is that is something very interesting. And, you know, I hadn't really heard, you know, that particular point until basically now. And I know a little bit on your conference call yesterday, there's some of this discussion. You know, I, when I was in New York last month, or I guess it was two months ago now that it's August uh, for Marine Money, I know we met up and, you know, I, I, I was there for the Marine Money conference and there was just a, you know, dearth of investors. Uh, but I know you were able to have several investor meetings that week. And I think you're one of the few firms that, you know, had the market capitalization and, and had kind of the right story to be able to, you know, get investors into the room and, you know, interested to talk about. And, you know, as we look at the stock price, right, of Scorpio tankers year to date, um, you know, it's been a significant run, right? Very impressive movement up. And then uh, Scorpio bulkers as well. I, I think uh, investors realized that Scorpio bulkers sits on a, a significant shareholding of Scorpio tankers. And they also saw that, you know, the, the nice rise in dry bulk rates, um, so with that kind of you know pivot point, I, I did want to give you a chance a little bit to talk about your other company, uh, Scorpio Bulkers, right? It, a little bit smaller, doesn't you know quite carry as much interest in the markets yet. Um, but how do you see the dry bulk market looking now, and specifically in the mid-size segment where you operate? I mean, rates have went up significantly month over month. Is this a temporary dislocation? Is it just you know uh, snapping back uh, short term, or is this a fundamental change in the market? Well, I think there are two, two things that are, that are important in the mid-sized dry bulb market that is, you know, firstly on the supply side is that the, the large delivery years are behind us now. So there's not actually very much on order in the dry cargo uh, mid-sized market and, you know, is approaching record uh, lows of, of percentage of vessels on order to to the actual fleet itself. The second thing is that that fleet itself is largely comprised of, of, of you know, there's a lot of older ships in that, that um, fleet profile. And there are very few what I would call eco vessels or, or modern vessels that basic fuel consumption is, is much lower than an older vessel. And then on top of that, you know, we have taken the measures to, we're going to put scrubbers on on, on our uh, dry bulk vessels, which will allow us to have access to cheaper fuels into the CMO 2020 move whilst being compliant. And then the demand side is much more diverse than, for example, you know, just the large size, the Cape market, the Cape market is really primarily an iron ore market. As we go into the mid-sized markets, it's everything. It's, it's the grains, soybeans, um, the cements, every type of soft and hard commodity that's carried by sea around the world. And that, so there's very many more different cargoes we carry and one thing that has happened that's favorable, I mean, the, the, the China-US trade um, question mark is, is really being positive for countries like Vietnam. I mean, Vietnam, Philippines, these countries surrounding Asia have suddenly had a spurt of demand, which has had a knock-on effect into, the, into that small and mid-sized dry cargo market where 
we're shipping stuff for whether it's construction or you know vietnam is is steel production has shot up 50% etc and then these countries living standards and economies are increasing quite fast so we're shipping foodstuffs there we're shipping grains we're shipping soybeans there so uh that's i think a a really good um you know forward looking position for the dry cargo market itself now the other thing that's unique and it, it, it not unique but the other part of it is the dry cargo market was at a 50 year low in 2015 so it's coming from a real bottom where everything got flushed out now the consequence of that is still across the board scorpio bulkers included it, it even though we're making we suddenly we're making very strong cash flow positives the present rate structure is um is you know i don't think we've had this kind of strength for 5 or 6 years across dry cargo so you know it's almost a really good profitable structure the companies including scorpio bulkers are traded at a significant discount to their breakup values or their steel or their net asset values not alone their their fair fair market book values um and so we think we have a really great fleet you know one of the best fleets there it's certainly one of the most modern it's the it will be one of the most fuel efficient it will be one of the most adaptable to the new energy fuels and you know, that's why we think that that's a great position to have um and that's without its investment in scorpio tankers scorpio bulkers is scorpio tankers largest shareholder on i think 10 11% of scorpio um ex outside of insiders um and you know we think that scorpio tankers is the best expression there is out there in the shipping business for the emo 2020 change that makes scorpio bulkers really exciting and you know that's why insiders in total own around 30% of scorpio bulkers um and it's you know it's it's in a great it's in a good position you know if right now you an investor would be buying at a discount to its break up value with great positive cash flow and improving supply and demand balance sheet and an improving competitive environment and it has for one of a better word flexibility in its balance sheet it's you know it's a fully funded company and um you know at some point that's going to turn now that it's creating strong cash flows to you know to, to we want to return on our capital you know same as any of you would want in a company too Absolutely. Yeah, Robert, well, I you hit a lot of the questions I was going to ask or kind of the segues I was going to ask about Scorpio Bulkers kind of in your response there, so I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, we we followed that uh, transaction with interest. Uh, you know, last fall, you know, we looked into the uh, you know, Scorpio Bulkers acquisition of of Scorpio Tankers and that initial public offering and you know, there was no doubt that the entry price was uh was phenomenal. Right. I mean it it really was a, a good chance to get in on the company and you know now you know we have the benefit of hindsight and uh and seeing that it indeed was a good investment. Uh I mean it wasn't without controversy, right? It was a uh pure play dry bulk company uh you know what which investors had got into, you know 
diverting a little bit of their funds, you know, into a tanker company. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, we look at it now and it's profitable. So everyone's happy. Uh, but it's just in Scorpio Bulkers now might have the question. Uh, they're happy, right? Because they made a lot of money. But they might have the question, well, what do we do um, with this this kind of uh, investment, this overhang? Is it something that we convert, uh, you know, back into uh, bulker equity at some point? Do we sell this, uh, you know, Scorpio Tankers equity on the open market? Uh, do you dividend it out to shareholders? Um, what are some of the ways that you've thought about uh, transitioning that investment, or or is that not in the is that not in the works? Is this going to be a long term kind of combination? I think that's a really interesting question. I think the you know we'll, we'll, we'll start right back from the position. So when when a company takes a thirty percent position in a company, or when insiders are taking thirty percent positions, and also we have you know an, another shareholder, our number two shareholder, came in and, and helped us restructure the company back into fifteen at the fifty year. You know, dry pulp market low owns another twenty percent, and a couple of other strong institutions own another ten fifteen. The the all of us share a real basic philosophy. the The idea has not been to grow the the biggest dry bulk company or the biggest dry bulk medium company. The the idea is, you know, what's the best way to make money. So the Scorpio tanker investment was, you know, was was this a great opportunity? Yes, you're getting this fantastic fleet at a at a discount at a market time, right in the face of a tremendously, you know, positive catalyst of EMO 2020. Now, as we started this call, EMO 2020 hasn't even begun to play out yet. You know, the theater, if you want to call him on 2020, a show or anything, or a ball game. I mean, you know, the, the players have been, uh, you know, doing their little practices. They, they haven't even started, to, the fans haven't sat down to take the first pitch even. So, you know, I think at the moment, if you heard into our call, we're, we're very much focused on seeing how we can let that um, you know that 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 play out a little bit, um, but you always balance that against other alternatives too. Um, you know, all of the things you mentioned are there. I mean, you would look at when the when the time comes, you would look to you know you could even dividend some of the shares out to the existing shareholders, especially as so many of the actual Scorpio bulker shareholders own stock in Scorpio tankers anyway. So clearly the insiders of Scorpio bulkers love Scorpio tankers and so do the other two top shareholders too. They're shareholders of Scorpio tankers. So that's an alternative. You could also, if the spread persists too much, you know, if it, if it persists whereby the um, you know, Scorpio Balkers continues to trade at a big steep discount to NAV. You know, then the funds might be might be used to try and close that gap, or partly part funds might be used to close that gap in the term of you know buybacks. Um, 
the company also on a market. Remember, it, the starting point with Scorpio Park is it is already fully funded. And it is already now creating positive cash flow. So we don't know yet, you know, if this persists as well for, you know, a quarter or a few more months, the company will be throwing off surplus cash flow too. So it's not just what we have to think about what we're doing with the Scorpio tanker stock, hopefully. It's also what we're doing with the positive cash flow itself. I would say that no decisions have been made either way right now. We're, we've been, you know, we've been monitoring that, but all of the options will be studied. Um, and we're really fortunate to, to have these, 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 these are luxury options. I mean, occasionally, you know, we hear, analysts sort of concerning themselves in a negative way. Well, I mean, it's amazing that the starting point is, is you have a company in an industry that is recovering from a depression. So the very fact that someone can ask you, wow, what are you going to do with all these positive cash positions is actually a great thing because it means that you have those, those um, options. Uh, you know, it definitely was not the situation, right, in, in 2016 and 2017, right? So we, we've came a long ways. And, you know, I remember back in 2016, uh, you know, the company had dropped, I think it was, to about $3 a share at Scorpio uh, Bulkers. And, you know, you had to recapitalize, you had to raise equity. And, uh, you know, Robert, I saw you made some personal purchases at that point, And, you know, it was a clear signal, I, I think, to anyone really watching the stock that, you know, now is the time to get in at the bottom of the cycle. And, you know, it's a very profitable uh, turnaround investment at that point. And I think, you know, we saw a similar thing, right? Not exactly the same, but we saw a similar thing with Scorpio tankers. And uh, if Scorpio tankers, I would say the difference has been the speed of the recovery, right? Scorpio bulkers has been uh, several years, right? Lots of money. When you're doubling or tripling your money, a couple of years is fine. Uh, but with Scorpio tankers, right, we've we've moved up, you know, 50, 60% in a matter of months. So I think that speaks to the market there. Yeah, but this is this this is why we're you know we're begging our not begging but we're we're asking our shareholders and supporters of the Scorpio Balkers to be a little bit patient over this thing investment. That the easy thing would be to you know just the easy thing would be to say great good we we bought it we could sell it fifty percent profit thank you you know I think as one analyst said on a call once you could declare victory. Well, yeah, that's just sort of interesting. But what is so different in the Scorpio tanker position is you've got this major catalyst. It is really rare. In 35 years working in this industry in public markets, I've never seen a regulation that is an actual positive demand catalyst. Normally, regulations on shipping lead to extra expense. They are regulations either to make things more transparent, to make things more secure, to make you know make greater oversight, or to increase the safety in the industry. And all of those normally cost a lot of money. Here you have a change that for Scorpio tankers is going to increase the demand for the ships itself. And Scorpio Tankers has the most modern product tanker fleet in the world, so and is 
the greatest beneficiary. So that's why you have this rise so quickly um, when EMA was confirmed last November, December in Scorpio tankers combined with, you know, it hasn't yet started yet, which is why we think there can be a further, you know, strong leg or two upwards. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as investors, that's something we've been watching as well. And, and, and a good job, you know, contrasting the differences on regulation. You know, it's been interesting to watch. And, you know, you see some of these things come through, like uh, the ballast water treatment. And, you know, you think, well, what's this going to do? And in that one specifically, you know, all it really did, like you said, was raise the costs. Uh, but with IMO 2020 coming in and, and driving out some of that older tonnage, um, you know, and it also opens up an interesting, you know, sort of investment arbitrage, as it were. Uh, you know, with installing scrubbers. And on uh, Scorpio tankers, it looks like you've committed to install scrubbers on basically all the LR vessels and uh, the MRs. Uh, the only ones you're not installing, if I've seen that correctly, is are the handy maxes. And then in Scorpio uh, bulkers, it looks like a 100% uh, scrubber allocation as well. A question I had on that is I noticed your installation schedule is spread out throughout starting pretty much now, right, mid-2019 uh, through the end of 2020. Now, I understand shipyards are pretty much fully booked uh, through most of 2020 installing those scrubbers. Uh, is there any way to accelerate that, that timeline any further, getting us closer to you know January, February, March of 2020, or are the shipyards pretty much just fully booked at this point? Look, you're going to you know accelerate things perhaps on the margin. You know, we have a uh, with scope between you know, scope the tankers has a has a faster period. So than Scorpio Balkas has, because obviously one of the bigger ships done first. But the, you know, we have well over a hundred total vessels going in for scrubber refits. So there's going to be some learning, you know, benefit here. So hopefully the, the later vessels will have a faster schedule than the first ones. Then maybe, you know, we obviously we, we tend to be conservative in how we estimate for these off-hire things and until we've shown ourselves otherwise, we'll keep it that way. So on the margin, there may be some improvement to the schedule. But I think what is exciting is that the vast majority of the tonnage out there, especially in, in, in medium dry cargo and in, in, in the MRs in products, there are very few people who are committed to doing scrubbers that can that that are inside that time schedule. And the rest of the fleet now is really trapped. They either can't get scrubbers until well into twenty twenty one, or they're just not going to be able to get them. They're not going to go through the process at all. So, I think that um, you know we would of course like in a perfect world to have them all there by January the 1st, but we're thankful for the ones that we've been in, in this type of environment for the ones that we're actually going to have. Yeah, you know, it seems like a lot of companies, you know, the last couple of years were kind of sitting on the fence and, you know, debating uh, whether or not to install scrubbers. And I know Scorpio moved, you know, fairly quickly and decisively. And I mean, that's apparent. I think also to be fair to some of my competitors too, is that you know, yes, there were some people sitting on the fence, but there were others that, you know, that were forced to sit on the fence and are still forced to sit on the fence because both the dry cargo and the product market had, had, had 
produced such terrible results, terrible cash flows. I mean, a 50-year low in 2015-16 is really bad. That's definitely negative cash flows. Balance sheets getting smashed up all over the place, the same as what was happening in the product market. And installing scrubbers is an upfront capital exercise. So there are managements out there who internally would love to be putting scrubbers on, but they just can't afford it. Yeah, they just they're just stuck, right? I mean, they they don't, and they either have to raise equity, and and the market, as you know, the market's not forgiving for anyone that tries to raise equity. So, yeah, it's just a really tough spot. Uh, you know, Robert, on that, I mean, you, you're kind of at the front of the learning curve here with installing all these uh, scrubbers. Has there been any sort of surprises or lessons learned, or you know, some dislocations that you've seen in that market, or is it kind of as expected so far? James, want to give them some? Yeah, I, I would say it's as expected. I mean, it's it's hard to match a perfect arrival of the vessel with a dry dock installation you might be waiting a few days but in terms of equipment and installation things have gone as expected um i think we would expect or we did expect to have some initial delays which we've seen but you know nothing out of the ordinary and and not due to lack of equipment or installation issues the the scrubbers we've had installed have been commissioned and are working um they're not yet in the in the uh in the states or the ECA areas where we could have the potential to use them, um, but but they are commissioned and they they were working. So uh, all in all, I'd say uh, so far so good. Thanks. It seems like you, you've been ahead of the curve on on scrubbers and getting that stuff in. Uh, one other question for you, and I know it's speculative at this point, uh, but what kind of spreads are you ex- are expecting, or what is the market indicating at this point? Are we seeing you know two hundred dollars spreads, one eighty, two forty? What, what kind of numbers have you been seeing, or either quoted or discussed, or, or based on the futures curves? So you know the futures curves have the spreads at least for the first year, and say the the high two hundreds. Um, but if you listen to, you know, Valero's conference call, basically those guys say, look, we don't think the, the forward curve for diesel is a fair reflection of where it will be. We think it'll be higher. Where we are more or less is we see a lot of reasons why residual fuel oil prices or sorry, high sulfur fuel oil prices should go down just based on the lack of other uses aside from power generation, the other alternative is shipping. And with the amount of scrubbers being installed, there's going to be surplus high sulfur fuel oil. And so we find it hard to see a case where that goes up in price. Yeah, that, that makes sense for sure. I, I think there's just a lot of, uh, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, fence setting from companies and, you know, understandably some of that's due to balance sheets, but there's also sort of a lot of fence sitting with some investors, right? Looking at this and saying, well, I don't know if, you know, these scrubbers are going to make sense. I don't know the you know, the payback periods that we see in these presentations looks a little bit too rosy. Uh, and right, I mean, the payback period, uh, the difference between, you know, $300 of spread and 150 is is significant. Obviously, it's doubling of the payback period. And when we're talking the difference between a year and a half of getting your cash back and starting to earn returns uh, versus three years, right, is, is enormous in terms of implied returns, uh, right? So I think investors are kind of looking at that and, and kind of, you know, confused. And I, I think the it seems like the futures markets haven't really gotten the full volumes and, and kind of interest yet. Um, how many, how, in that note, I, how much is the volumes on the futures markets? Are these, can we take these spreads seriously at this point? Or is it just like you said, is it just getting started? You know, I, I think it, it's just getting started. I think, like you said, a lot of people are unsure how this is going to play out. 
and I know you and I had a quick chat kind of about blends and things like that. And there's, there's some confusion there as well, but at the end of the day, um, we, we follow what the refiners say. I think they have, they have the best outlook. And, and when we listen to Valero say, well, you know, we think the forward curve is going to be a lot higher than what's currently showing today. That gives us kind of confident in our belief that, you know, increased demand for distillates is going to push that forward price up. Excellent. Thanks, James. And, you know, at this point, uh, you know, that that's kind of the, most of the stuff that I had. I wanted to go, you know, kind of back and forth on with, with you and Robert. I'm going to turn it over a little bit now to some questions I've had from our, our investor group, uh, some of the stuff we've compiled over the past few days. Um, so one of these questions, and it, this is kind of arose yesterday after listening to both your conference call and also uh, Ardmore uh, shipping's conference call is how is this uh, low sulfur fuel that compliant blend you know the 0.5 percent stuff how is that going to be transported is that considered uh, you know a dirty fuel it, it needs to be on like a crude tanker or or you need to scrub the tanks afterwards or is this something that you can carry on product tankers without really risk of contamination sure uh jay so i think the best way to answer that question is to just go over the types of fuels so today we burn high sulfur fuel oil it's a residual fuel oil uh, you know, on average is three and a half percent sulfur. And let's call that Coca-Cola. Then in ECA areas and things like that, you can burn a marine gas oil or actually a low sulfur diesel. But for the purpose of this, for IMO 2020, marine gas oil is basically a diesel that has less than 5% sulfur. And we'll call that Sprite. So the marine gas oil is a clean cargo and the High sulfur fuel oil is a dirty cargo. Now, where people are getting confused is when they hear the words VLSFO, which is very low sulfur fuel oil. Now, there are two types of very low sulfur fuel oil. There's the fuel oil that comes directly from the refinery that has a sulfur content below 0.5%. So once it's refined, it has that 0.5. Now, we'll call that Diet Coke. There's not that much of that available because you need a heavy sweet crude to produce it. The other, and what is being talked about by refiners, is a VLSFO blend. So it's taking the high sulfur fuel oil, the Coca-Cola, and it's blending it with a marine gas oil, which is a diesel, the Sprite. Now, that, once is fully blended, will be a dirty cargo because it has a fuel oil. So the blends will be a dirty cargo. Marine gas oil remain a clean cargo. The more compelling part for us is that in those blends, if you were to blend a three and a half percent high sulfur fuel oil with the marine gas oil, the majority of that blend, maybe, you know, 75 to 85 percent of that is going to be diesel. And that is when we're talking about the incremental demand is even though those blends are a dirty cargo, it is predominantly diesel and where that diesel is going to come from is more relevant for, for the product tanker space. We think initially, until the blends are really reliable and compatible, people will burn MGO in part, which will be incremental demand to product tankers. But going forward, this, this blend is, is permanent incremental demand to the product tanker market because you're going to need to blend the high sulfur fuel oil with a diesel, a clean product. Got it. So that the total demand actually goes up, uh, you know, could go up quite significantly, especially for your type of trade, uh, even if the amount of consumed fuel at the end is is the same, right? Because you have to bring all these different blends all across the world and, and get them into the ports. Is that, what, is that what I'm hearing from you, James? Yeah, the parts, just to bring the, the diesel for blends. I mean, if you look at the United States, they don't produce a lot of fuel oil, very little. 
Um, and so where these blends are going to be done and what parts need to be moved is, is, is the real driver. But for us, everything today pretty much is a dirty cargo anyway. So any type of MGO movement or things like that is going to be incremental demand to us you know, from day one. And then on top of that, you're going to have these increased diesel flows because you know, the refining complexes in different regions have different products and how they're going to come out with these blends and where the incremental diesel is going to come from. If you look at who produces the most fuel oil, it's Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Singapore. So, you know, are you going to get diesel movements over there? Or are you going to get fuel oil movements to the United States and how these blends will work is going to be good for both crude and products. Uh, we just get that incremental demand because we currently don't carry really any bunker fuel. Yeah, that, that does make sense. And it's very interesting. And there was some confusion yesterday on those conference calls, you know, just the discussion of what was what. So I do appreciate your, you know, you're splitting it into uh, Coke and Diet Coke and, and Sprite. You know, it, it helps uh, it helps people like us who are a little less uh, scientific, maybe uh, figure that one out. So thank you for that, James. Um, on that note, uh, you know, one of the kind of overhangs on the product market in the past, and, and I don't know if it's a, you know, legitimate uh, overhang or just maybe the kind of excuse of the day when the markets were weaker, but uh, VLCCs and other, you know, sewage maxes and, and tankers like that, the crude tankers, when they get delivered, a lot of times I've heard their initial maiden voyage uh, carries the, uh, you know, product diesel or some sort of uh, light clean cargo. Is that a, can, you know, kind of an overhang for you guys in the supply side? Because I know that the product tanker supply curve looks really good. But we also have a lot of VLCs coming for delivery in the next six to twelve months. Is that kind of a concern for you guys? I wouldn't say it's a concern. It's just the you know fact that's out there. But it, the, but a couple of things that um, would 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 anyway you know be favorable going forward from about from September is that first of all the VLCC deliveries. Uh, fall off a cliff once we get into towards the September and the fourth quarter because the order book itself doesn't have many VLCCs delivering in that fourth quarter. And anyway, when we get to the fourth quarter, people tend to delay their deliveries in November and December into January and February, just just like you know, for an automobile, you'd like to just have that new year stamp on it. And then the second but more important thing is that, you know, the market is also expecting the VLCC market to improve. So the, the temptation or the, the, the fact that VLCCs encroach on our markets, new ones for like their first loaded voyages, is much less if, if their own market is doing well. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And, you know, there's there's not that terrible crude, you know, tanker rate overhang. And I think that's kind of what we saw the last couple of years was, you know, the VL rates and Suez Max rates were also terrible, if not worse than products. So, yeah, there's a little bit of switching back and forth, um, especially on the LR2 and, and kind of Aframax markets. Um, shifting over to one other question we had, and it's, it's a question that keeps coming up uh, amongst investors, and I you know, think a very good one is, right now, you, you know, you estimated on the call that Scorpio Bulker's NAV is, is somewhere between, you know, 950 and 10, you know, per year estimates, um, you know, a little bit more maybe aggressive than my estimates, but, you know, in the same general ballpark, um, the share price is, you know, significantly lower than that. I think, you know, the markets have just opened up as we're talking now and the price is in the upper fives. Um, so at what point, uh, you know, do you see yourselves, you know, having enough cash 
right? I mean, with the rates picking up, your, your cash flow is co- clearly very positive. At what point do you see yourselves having enough cash and being willing to kind of dip back into the market and you know take advantage of that arbitrage? Yeah, I mean, it depends. That's one way one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is whether or not that um, you know we 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 know we have good buyers at the moment of that of that stock. Um, the other thing is how much of that arbitrage could you actually actually take? I mean, it's a thinly you know, there's not that much of a float out there. You know, there's, I think there's 60 odd percent of the stock, maybe a bit more is held between, you know, four groups of people. Um, I could probably add another four to that and we get to 75. So I think that it's, it's definitely a situation where, you know, you would move if it's not, if it's a red day, you want to buy stocks if there's a, if there's no liquidity out there, that's how you'll get them in some kind of volume. The second aspect is the rules itself. You're only allowed to buy X amount of the daily traded volume. So it you don't necessarily get much of the arbitrage yourself. You might take that stock price up um, by going in and doing it. Um, but your stock, you, you, you can also argue that if you just keep doing the right thing, your stock price is going that that arb is going to get taken out anyway. But either way, it's something we, it's just something as I said earlier that we will just watch, and we, we we're not going to give any we don't give any guidance as to what our cash flows will be, and unfortunately, it's also a little bit of game theory, right? I mean, the idea would be to buy whatever you're doing the cheapest you can if you're going to buy. So the last thing you're going to do is tell much that I'm sure I would like every one of the people on this call on a, you know, sitting down in a bar or whatever. There, there's no way we're going to telegraph. Right? Tuesday next week at two o'clock, we'll kick in my way. No, that, that's phenomenal. I was, I was thinking about that. You know, if, if you're answering the question and I, I'm thinking, if, you know, if Robert says we're going to buy the hell out of the stock up to nine bucks, then I know he's not buying anything. And uh, if he says he's not going to buy it until it's four dollars, then I, I know they're buying. So, yeah, it's it's definitely true on, on the game theory and, and not want to telegraph too much. Right. And, and there is an argument for, you know, just doing the right things and earning the right profits and, and maybe having a dividend down the road that brings investors back. And, you know, I think that does make sense at some point. Um, and, but then there's also, of course, the mathematical argument of, of closing that nav gap. Sure, you, you, you just have to do the, the right thing in, in the long part of it, right? It, because you, you know, you also got a whole constitute of, of investors out there who probably wouldn't invest in. You know, we started ripping it back, and you know, 300, 350 million dollar market cap companies. So there's got to be a second trick. You, you, you can't just be a one-trick pony because you can buy your stock back. What happens? You create an opportunity for people to sell in at a higher price, but it may not strategically get you to the right place. Yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely true. And you, you have to have a chance to sell at the other side, right? And, and in the markets that we've had in the last, man, I mean, the last 10 years, really, but the last couple of years for sure, uh, there just has not been a market for selling and placing equity. 
right? I mean, I know you've been able to do it with Scorpio tankers, but it was, you know, at a very painful price and, and Scorpio bulkers. But uh, you want to be in a market where, you know, you can get your stock price trading at a premium and then maybe you see an acquisition opportunity or something and, and you can issue equity. So you got to have both sides of it. Maybe you're just creating a super, you know, a strong balance sheet and, you know, a lot of time where you've, where you've got the position. It's a... You know, it's it's just not a good strategy to. I mean, insiders can't. I mean, we're not there to trade our our stock. You know, with that amount, so you you got to appeal for everything. So we'll see, but we'll watch. As I said before, the most important thing is that we have options. Yeah. Well, you know, and I've, I've definitely seen both bulkers and tankers uh, have repurchased heavily in the past when, when the opportunity presented itself. So, uh, you know, I know you're keeping your cards close to vest, but uh, I know you're also obviously well aware of the value opportunity. I mean, we, we, we get the mathematics. I mean, the last cycle, the company I was with there, OMI, we actually bought 34.5% of the stock back in a 15-month period below NEV and then put the company out of a sale and we sold the company at a price 25, 30% above NEV. That was a very nice trade. Yeah, it certainly was. And, you know, I'm sure investors would, you know, love to see a repeat of that again in the future. And, you know, maybe we'll get it. We'll see. Sure, my wife would love that too. <laughs> everybody, everybody on the long side of the trade would, would love to see something like that. Well, Robert, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate joining us here on the call and, and letting us, uh, some of the investors jump in with their questions. Thank you all for the support. And look, we're really happy to support this type of communication. It's fun. Yeah, Robert, thanks. And James, thanks to you as well. I appreciate you jumping in and offering some help on some of the more technical stuff. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can do uh, more of these going forward. And I look forward to more results. And hopefully we'll get that stock price up where it belongs. Thanks for listening into our inaugural episode today. To read my research, you can navigate to SeekingAlpha.com and search for Jay Mintzmeyer. To access our premium content, you can navigate direct to bensmeyer.com. That's M-I-N-T-Z-M-Y-E-R.com to sign up for a free trial to our platform. As a reminder, I am personally long shares in both Scorpio tankers and Scorpio bulkers. Nothing you heard here today should constitute investment advice or recommendations in any format. 